Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. The Academy podcast is one offering from a rich well of content sprung from deep relationship building with wisdom guides, pilgrim participants, and wholehearted leaders we've had the honor of knowing throughout the past 36 years. Thank you to all of those who've joined us on the journey. And if you're new with us today, welcome. We're glad you're here. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. This month's podcast features teaching from Don Selliers on the Liturgy of the Psalms, offered at a five-day academy in 2015 in Alabama. Calling us to the depths of the human heart, Don illumines the Psalms as a school of prayer that invites humanity to operate at full stretch and to use language to talk about God that is language of the heart. The Psalms are where we find such language to guide us. Don returned to Candler School of Theology at Emory University as theologian in residence after retiring in 2007 as the William R. Cannon Distinguished Professor of Theology and Worship. For many years, he directed the Master of Sacred Music program at Emory and was an organist and choir master at Cannon Chapel for 35 years. Before joining the Candler faculty in 1974, Don taught at Yale Divinity School and has taught in summer programs at Notre Dame, Boston College, Vancouver School of Theology, St. John's University, and Boston University School of Theology. An accomplished musician, theologian, and scholar of liturgics, Don is the author of 15 books on the relationship between theology and worship practices, as well as more than 150 articles, essays, chapters in books, and book reviews. He co-authored A Song to Sing, A Life to Live with his daughter, Emily Selliers, a member of the Indigo Girls. Serving as faculty for academies throughout the years and currently serving as theologian on two-year Academy 41 in Alabama, Don offers his wisdom, expertise, poetry, and passion in ways that open the human heart, expand the human mind, and engage the human body. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. Here's from Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's well known to all of you, but he does mention psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in a wonderful way. This is the third chapter. Put on as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, Mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. But above all, Paul says, put on love which makes harmony. I sometimes wonder whether Paul was a musician, at least a trumpet player. The trumpet does show up. And there's a doxology at every turn in his letters. And then the relevant passage for us this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, today's theme teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts 
to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him and by him. This is an invitation to us to be reminded that when we study and sing and pray psalms, we are teaching Christ to one another. I'll get to that theme a little later in the week. This whole question of how Christ prays in us, with us, through us, in the great hymn book which has come to us, the school of prayer which we call the Psalms. And in the Psalms, as I say in that opening paragraph, I want to say that we taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Wonderful, wonderful that the tongue can understand. Sorrow, taste and see. But we also hear the word of God when we sing or even simply when we read together. Or sometimes when you're reading the Psalms and praying the Psalms, you hear your father's and mother's voices. You hear your great aunt's voices. You hear the voices of people who, with whom you have worshipped, with whom you have wept, with whom you have laughed. Their voices are in there too. But well beyond the people you have known or are related to, is this enormous company of people who have prayed the Psalms before us in every conceivable language. Syriac, for example. Swahili, of course, French and German and all that. Think of the enormous number of people in whose hands the Psalms have been as worry stones or as places of refuge. So if I leave you with no other image this morning, it is that when we enter the Psalter, the book of Psalms, we enter into an enormous company of prayers and singers. And it happens in every church I know, whether it's a large church with smells and bells, or whether it's a tiny clappered church like the one I served in in Union County, Ohio for three years. Farmers, people with rough hands, they too sang and prayed the psalms in the company of all those who have gone before. So when we enter the school of prayer, which is the psalms, there we taste and hear and see what humanity is when addressed. That God who speaks to us still through there and listens for us as well to cry our cries to sing our doxologies in every tongue, in every accent imaginable, the church through time. And that's what makes the Psalms, in part what makes the Psalms so crucial now. And unfortunately, we'll get to this too, often neglected by the church, especially perhaps when we get to the question of lamentation. A world so saturated with suffering the litany of suffering and terror which is so pressing upon us and we forget that the Psalms have language for that and we need to taste those as well. So I'm going to begin this morning with six proposals that I will try to carry. I suspect that this will be a duet all the way through with Roberta 
but six proposals concerning the language of the Psalms, and then I want to move to some examples and how praying the Psalms is entering into what Jonathan Edwards and Calvin and Luther and Augustine, of course, have called the affections, the deep places of the human heart, this restless heart we have, this restless heart the church must continue to nurture and foster in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And what I want to say, particularly this morning, is that the psalms offer us this enormous reintroduction to the depths of human heart when it is in the presence of God. My phrase for it is humanity at full stretch before God. And I mean that, at full stretch. Sometimes I think the church settles for a nice little domesticated middle. It's what's wilder than that. The journey of faith in this company we hardly know that has gone before us and, as God has promised, will come after us. Our humanity at full stretch before God. A kind of a little handy-dandy image for you to carry and maybe we can work with. So in the Psalter, in this book of Psalms, which is really five books in the way it was finally edited, into these five books we enter. Interestingly enough, the five books, and I'll write them on the board here in a minute, the five books each end with what? A doxology. Each of these books of the Bible, of, this, of the Psalter, end with a doxology. I'll pull it up in a minute. But at the end, by the time you've gotten through all of the laments and all of the songs of hope and trust, including this marvelous Psalm 23 that's in your bones, is it not? By the time you get to the end, it's all doxology. 146 through 150. And 150 itself is so breathless. In fact, everything that breathes is joining in. So the other secret is, if there's a great cloud of people who have prayed these psalms before we got here, and there is a great cloud of people yet to pray them, children we must teach, then it's also the case that the whole creation sings. The whole creation must sing, and we sing on behalf of whole creation. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. The aardvark, the dogs, named Curly or Arf, they sing too. Oh, if you know Benjamin Britten's wonderful Rejoice in the Lamb, those of you who have sung in choirs, you know even the letters of the Hebrew alphabet will praise God. And Nimrod will praise God, etc., etc. So once in a while, we get a teasing taste of what it might be to praise God with everything and all creation, all creation itself. So at the end, the Psalter, in a sense, pulls through the doxologies that are woven together with the laments and the grief and the joy and the trust and the history of God with Israel and with all creation. Pull them out, and at the end, it's breathless praise. As I say, the church settles for a domesticated middle when it's wilder than that. 
Our humanity at full stretch is at stake because the wholeness of who God is is at stake in singing these psalms. I'll come back to the point too. Did you know that the psalms are the most quoted Hebrew scripture in New Testament without it? And as a teacher of worship and liturgy, I know that there would be no Christian liturgy without the psalms. Not that they're directly quoted so much as they influence and shape the imagery by which we give praise to God in every time and place. And that's why the use of the psalms in worship is important. So the language of the vocative then gives you both the substance and the sense of what it is to speak of God in the indicative, just as it allows you to speak of your beloved because you have addressed the beloved. Now, if you haven't got my point there, uh, oh, you got it, you got my point. Namely, the language of prayer is the language of address, isn't it? We address God, just like we speak in relationship and relationality to one another these phrases, and then the phrases become the substance of what we want to say and claim about the beloved. So I think another way to study the Psalms is to think of this as finding a language to address the entire mystery and range of who God is. And that language then becomes the basis of theology. I can do a lot of technical things with that. I don't want to do any technical things with that. That's good enough. The language of the vocative is a foundation for the indicative, what we believe. In other words, if we say we believe in God, but without anguish in our heart or profound love for the subject, then we only believe in the idea of God that someone has taught us. So our language about God must be affected, affective. Another way of saying it is it's got to be in the heart, which doesn't mean just in your epiglottis or what you feel from time T1 to time T2, but what persists and endures over your life because of this relationship with God. And the Psalms have that. And no holds barred. No holds barred in the Psalms, as, as we heard from Andy last night. Third, the Psalms, I think, are integral to our worship, as well as essential for your devotional life and mine. Some of you here are veterans of using Psalms, morning and evening. Some of you have hesitantly come hoping that this might be your meat and drink, that this might create a rhythm for your day and night. The church in her wisdom from the beginning, borrowing from our Jewish ancestors, knew that we must pray morning and noon and eventide and night. And out of that came the offices, the liturgical offices or the prayer offices, morning prayer, Prayer at noon, prayer at table, Barukata, Erunai, Eluhenu, Melekla, Hamorat, Haaretz. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, you've provided bread. That Beraka, which is pervasive in the Psalms. Blessed, bless the Lord, O my soul. 
all that is within me, bless God's name. That whole notion of praying over time in our devotional life and the church's life. But not just the day, morning, noontime, night, but the week. And not just the week, but the year, in season and out of season. The Psalms have provided a touchstone to seasons and feasts, and from age to age across multiple cultures, as I've already said. So in that sense, I think we must reintroduce ourselves to the whole history of time and space encoded in the Psalms. The the plain fact of the matter is, if, if you pick up and start rummaging around in the book of Psalms, uh, you're going to find fresh encounters, images you haven't heard before, or images you have heard before, and now because your life has changed, you hear them as though for the first time. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in this terrible place, I am now. Behold, you are there. Scripture lies in wait for us. The Psalms lie in wait for us. Our life changes, the passages through which we go. Often wait, often are searching for a language. And the Psalms, time and time again, this has been my experience, come to my rescue. So this is why I say in point four, I think the Psalms are a a continuing place of new encounters between God and creation, between God and God's people, shaping the life of prayer in every time and circumstances. And here's where we will talk this week, and I especially will want to talk about the affections that are expressed in the Psalms and are formed in us by virtue of praying and singing the Psalms. But joy and sorrow, suffering and triumph, despair and ecstatic praise, it's all there waiting for us and sometimes waiting on our life to change or the circumstances in our culture or our society. Sometimes, I will not say this of any pastors or priests, sometimes though, scripture is read as though the person is just discovering it for the first time. Does this really say this? You know, you can go. <laughs> and it happens to us too. So that's just a principle that the Psalms are already poetic, already lyrical. They require singing. Now, my preference, of course, is to sing the Psalms. Why? Because they're a double journey. They go into the mystery of God, but also into the depths of our humanity. And that's why when we sing, It's a bodily thing. We breathe. We produce sound. We listen to one another. As Augustine said, those who sing pray twice. Right? Because the bodily activity of producing the sound together, even when well read, but I prefer the singing, breath, sound, rhythm, kinesthetic experience, the bodily experience of praying together the Psalms.
During my sophomore year of college, when I was going through a crisis of faith and identity, when all of the conservative Southern Baptist theology of my upbringing began to crack and fall away, when I was scared and ashamed and alone, I would turn to the Psalms both morning and night to find comfort, honesty, and healing. This was years before I would know anything about contemplative spirituality or about a monastic liturgy of praying the hours. But somehow my soul knew and longed for this ancient practice and drew me to its poetry and song anyway. Thus, when Don speaks so eloquently about how the Psalms connect us to our ancestors and to all of those who've prayed these Psalms before us, I have to believe that it was my cloud of witnesses who also invited me into this sacred liturgy, these sacred songs. There must have been something they saw in my deep longing for authentic, loving prayer that helped me turn to the middle of my Bible and begin reading all those years ago. Now, as a mother, I am drawn not only to the past praying, singing, dancing, moving of these psalms, but also to the future of them. Don's genius and gift in the way he teaches is the invitational nature of his offering, a kind of bidding to those who listen that comes from the very psalms itself. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Grateful to Don for reminding us that the Psalms beckoned our ancestors to a school of prayer steeped in authenticity and vulnerability, and that the Psalms will beckon our children into this same truthful place long after we're no longer here. May we, for this day and this moment, turn to these ancient pages, singing with the saints of thousands. Holy, holy, holy. Alleluia and Amen. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Don Selliers, join us at the next five-day or two-year Academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.com dot org.